Hey, Anna, this is exciting. It is summer. Are you super psyched about summer? Dean, you know I'm not super psyched about summer. Too Even hot, though right? it's, it's too hot. It's too Way hot. Way too hot. Well, That's right. the reason why it's summer is <sighs> because, well, the sun goes higher in the sky right now. And we just had the solstice. And I know you didn't celebrate this because you only celebrate the winter solstice when you have darkness and cold weather, right? Yeah, but don't make it sound like I'm like you know dark and cold <laughs> of but course yeah, not. no i'm not celebrating the summer solstice i'm you know what i'm celebrating shorter day days getting shorter from now on you are absolutely right we have reached the peak of daylight so we had our longest day and shortest night the solstice was on june 20th and that means it's all downhill from here every day is going to get more darkness and less light but we still got a long time of summer. And so, uh, it, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of summer because of how late it gets dark at night. So oh, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm working at the observatory, now I have to stay up extra late for all this extra time. That's right. I'm sorry about that, bud. And so, yeah, we can't even like start viewing till like 930 or 10. Mm -hmm. But I got to say, I do like the extra daylight. I like the amount of sunlight. But if only it was a little cooler. I was going to say it's super hot. Don't act like it's like comfortable because it's not. No, it, it's not comfortable. That. I do not like heat. That's for sure. So now the reason why we call it the solstice, this is uh, for folks who've been watching this. And I, I know not everybody does this. Just something I do is I watch where the sun sets every day. And so the sun will set in different places every single day. And so the solstice on the 20th, that was when the sun set the farthest north that we'll ever get for our northern hemisphere. Ooh. And so this is something that people would mark on their calendars. They'd mark it in space. They'd mark it to like with pillars and rocks and stones and windows. And when the sun would come through this spot, they would celebrate this moment. Because every day after this, it's going to start heading south. And so we've had uh, our solstice. And now everybody can watch the sun starting to set farther and farther south every day. Until we get to the equinox. And then your favorite, winter solstice, when it's the farthest south. Are you ready, ready for that six months from now? Yeah. I, I, okay. I'll be counting down. I'll give myself a special calendar. All right. See, so we're already idea. past the worst of it. <laughs> we're right. already past the worst of it, and we're heading around the bend. And see, this is totally opposite. Everybody, who does, they celebrate the winter solstice because the sun's coming back. You're going to celebrate the summer solstice because the sun's going away. Pretty much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sorry if that doesn't work with your narrative for the summer so you you pushers of the hot weather but i don't care I'm just saying uh, it's to uncomfortable each, to each her own that's right <laughs> from our makeshift home studios and cincinnati public radio i'm dean regas and this is looking up
And I'm Annie Heeman, and we are from the oldest public observatory in the United States, the Cincinnati Observatory. Dean's the astronomer, and I handle the operations. We share the wonders of the universe with thousands of people every year, and now we're doing the same thing for this podcast. We love talking to astronauts and scientists, authors, and other colorful characters about topics in astronomy and space science. Our guest today is writer, editor, and co-host of the Science Rules Podcast with Bill Nye, Corey Powell. So as you mentioned, whatever, it's summer, blah, I'm hot, I need a fan, but because I'm an optimist, which isn't obvious by this intro. Absolutely um, untrue. Uh, we need we need a disclaimer on this. <laughs> um, this what? is funny. In, in in summer, in summer for some reason I'm the optimist, and uh, then and then in winter we reverse roles because I'm usually the true. grumpy astronomer, and yeah, it's because I'm cold all the mm-hmm. time now. But uh, so all right, we'll. Well, we'll play our roles this way. You'll be the pessimist. I'll be the optimist this week. How about that? <laughs> That's perfect. That'll be a nice change of pace for you. Uh, it will be. It'll be hard. <laughs> I got to think it t- takes a lot of energy to be perky. I don't so. think I keep it up for much longer. <laughs> so uh, You're going to go lay down. Yep. Honestly. I mean, do you have any plans for summer? I guess it's a fun time to like, I don't know, do whatever people do. Yeah, I mean, this is stargazing season for a lot of people. This is your chance to stay up late and do some, get out under the stars with your friends and family, take road trips, take trips to, to national parks and see all sorts of stuff. So I mean, I'm excited. Cool. Oh, good. I'm excited. And we got the planets coming back. So, I mean, first thing that I think of with summer is, uh, well, we got the stars and constellations of summer. We've got... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what's called the Summer Triangle starts coming up. These are the stars named Vega, Deneb, and Altair. And you'll be seeing this every single night after dark when you face to the eastern sky. And for those that uh, watch the Zodiac, you're going to have Libra, Scorpius, and Sagittarius coming up too in the southern sky. And these are three pretty cool constellations to look for. And I know most of the constellations don't look like what they're supposed to. Like you're like, if I you're like, just you, just stop, just don't even say it. I'm not even gonna go there because I'm in a mood because I'm toasty, and, and I'm, yeah, I'm totally with you on this. There is no way that the constellations actually look like the things they're supposed to. I mean, you know, Aquila the Eagle that comes up is one of the the, the constellations in the Summer Triangle. Good luck trying to see an eagle carrying a guy away to Mount Olympus. I mean, it's just a bunch of dots. Right. But I will say that Scorpius, the scorpion that's in the southern sky just above the southern horizon, does look a smidgen like a scorpion. You got the body, you got the tail, the curved tail and stinger at the bottom, two little pinchers coming out the side. Okay. If you can't see it... uh, I'm really laying it on thick. I know it's it doesn't look like you're that, really setting I'm yourself up for some. Yeah, I'm trying. So what I usually tell people is don't even try to look for the pictures. You will fail. I mean, it's just you can't you can't see them. We can't compete with those ancient imaginations. That's for sure. So um, you just want to try to find recognizable shapes up there. So big triangle. That one's easy. Big dippers up there. That's nice. The and big dipper the, looks like a dipper. It looks like, like yeah. a spoon. Yeah, so that one's pretty good. That That one's one's fine. That one, I'll give you that one. Yeah, and so we have those to look forward to, and uh, then we got some planets too to look uh, look at. Why are they coming out so late this year, Dean? 
I know every year they, the planets do what they want. They're rebels like you, Anna. They just, they don't play by anybody's rules except their own. Exactly. And and so uh, they, they all wander across the background stars in different ways (laughs) and different cycles. And so Venus is popping back into the summer sky now. And so right after dark, you'll see this really, really suspiciously bright light uh, blazing away in the Western sky. That'll be the planet Venus and it'll be with us for several months. So you get to know that. And I also point that out to uh, to head off anybody wanting to know if that's a UFO in the sky. It's a UFO season when Venus starts appearing. And so before you pick up the phone call, phone to call the observatory, before you email us and email uh, Anna directly, you do yeah. not ask us what that bright light was in the western sky after dark. It's Venus. Gee, Dean. Whoops. You're doing a great I'm, job with this optimism. I'm back into pessimist mode. All right. It's so- <laughs> You're like, nobody email me. Nobody ask me anything. It's not a UFO. That's what we're going to start answering the phone. Since I observatory, it's Venus. Exactly. That's what we're going to have to do. Uh, yep. Yep. Fine. Boy, you're right. I reverted. I mean, it was. <laughs> you couldn't even was, do like 10 minutes. It was so easy. It feels so much better this way. Does it? Yeah, yeah, you're 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 way out of your like, comfort zone. Ah, uh, yeah, it's like I can breathe again. <laughs> well, all right, let's go back to positivity. Yes, so, positivity. Uh, I'm positive that you cannot do. I'm saying, I can. I can. And you can do it. I can do it. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. Let me start off with a negative comment first, and then we'll bring it to positive. So <laughs> start off with okay. Well, you know, there's the. I think we've mentioned this before in, in mm-hmm. podcasts is that some of the stories that come across are a little bit overhyped, and especially meteor showers definitely get people's attention. They're like, "Oh yeah, you're going to see like a hundred meteors an hour with this one," and it's all baloney. You're not going to see that many, but. The good news is the best one of the year is coming up in the summer. So mark your calendars for August 12th and August 13th. This is the Perseid meteor shower. Uh, this is one that uh, you know, gets people's attention a lot because some people are off work. They're off on vacation. You can be in a dark sky to see more of the shooting stars. You can stay up late. It's not too cold. And uh, so uh, mark your calendars for that one. I'm not going to overhype it, though. You're not going to see 100 meteors an hour, maybe 15 an hour. So about one every four or five minutes is about what you're looking for for that one. Can I also say August 13th, important date is International Left-Handers Day. So I get it. People are going to be celebrating. Understandable, but try to save some time. See, I'm being optimistic. Save some time. See if you see a meteor. Yeah, and so then you can point up with your left hand and say, ooh, meteor, (laughs) just like that. That'd be perfect. Not your right hand. Only your left hand will be very recognizable meteors. That makes sense. Uh, That's a a pretty good one. It's an important Uh, distinction. Well, and so I think for me, uh, getting out away from the city is kind of fun. You get out and see some real stars out there. In the summertime, the Milky Way really soars. It goes from one side of the sky to the other. And so when you're in a dark sky, you can see this this kind of little cloudy patch that uh, where so many stars are in there that it uh, really wows you. I think the the Milky Way is the, one of those underappreciated things. And summertime is a great time to look for it because uh, it goes through some of the cool constellations. It goes through Sagittarius and Scorpius and Cygnus the Swan. And there's lots of cool deep space objects to look at too. If you have a little telescope, you can point them up and see nebulas and star clusters. 
And uh, so uh, for folks that are out there, definitely I'd highly encourage you to get out away from the city, go to some of the national parks, go to some parks, get out of uh, to a dark sky and uh, kind of get connected with your local astronomy group too, because they will love to show, uh, show you what you can see through these little telescopes and some pretty big ones too. And uh, you can get amazed. See, look at that. Look how positive that was. That was beautiful. I'm, I'm, that's it. I'm done. That's, that's right. Just wrap mic, it up. Mic drop. It's that's over. right. That's it. Mic drop. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Well, there's really, that, that was, that summed it up beautifully. You know, that's, that's the perfect uh, sentiment. See, now we're both in positive moods. Look at, uh, look at the power of astronomy. I think this is going to be like too, like when you're trying to put a magnet together, it's going to be like, this is repelling. We cannot have too much. We need the balance restored back in the world. So let me just say, I hate road trips. <laughs> there we go. I think we actually have talked about this. Before. I really do hate being in a car. I, but yep. you're right. And for me, I could like, I wish I was in a car right now. I would be driving, uh, on the open road oh with a telescope in the back seat. Oh man, there's nothing better than that. I wish I was in a car right now. That's <laughs> such a nice sentiment to share with your podcast co-host that you're talking to. Driving away from this interview as fast driving as possible. Driving away from this conversation so fast, I'll forget it. That's nice. That's so sweet. So what is that? Is that a is that a is that a backhanded positivity? What what do you call that? That's a <laughs> It's just you being rude. I'm positive about <laughs> how I want to get out of here. That's right. You're like, well, okay, I'll give you a break because it's, it's a pandemic. We've all been around a lot, home a lot or with whatever, doing a lot of Zoom calls, doing a lot of whatever's. It changes scenery is always is always nice and and you're right you and you remember that you told you told that one story about when you're out in the country and you're you're with yeah. your family and you saw the stars and i mean it was it's beautiful. moving honestly it's, that really was kind of a moment because it was like it was i mean really i wasn't even trying to look up that's the thing i i was i was like oh like i was annoyed at something and i happened to look up and it was just like this is so gorgeous and you just I, you don't think it's any different i'm just gonna say one more plug for this you don't think the sky is any different you're like the sky's the sky's the sky's it's not go somewhere my parents house it's like this in the you don't have to go that far even stone lick like we have our dark sky site go and like just commune with nature or whatever i don't even know where i'm talking i hate camping too but i do <laughs> like the sky i like being outside i like stars i like sparkles Yes, fine. And it's perfect for summer. It's perfect for summer. Just bring one of those little mini fans that you can keep on you because it's going to be hot, hot, hot. Those are good. Those are definitely <laughs> those good. Are so good. Well, get out there, everybody, <laughs> and right. road trip it or walk it or <laughs> teleport yourself. That'd be great. Yeah, you could actually skip the car and just get there automatically. Yeah, That'd be perfect. Take a plane. Corey Powell is a veteran science journalist who is the former editor-in-chief of Discover Magazine, where he wrote regularly about space and astronomy. He's also a longtime collaborator with Bill Nye, the science guy, including on their podcast, Science Rules. Corey, we're so excited to have you. Thanks for joining us on our podcast today. Oh, my pleasure to be here. So uh, after uh, your long time working with Discover, I mean, how did it uh, feel kind of stepping out of there, the excitement of being out there in the freelance world? And, and where did you go first? Oh, wow. All, all these are long time things. You're making me feel old. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, was, it was liberating. I think you know, be, before the, 
before COVID and before all these people working at home, uh, you know, I, I sort of was pre-liberated or pre-confined, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> uh, you know, breaking free from a regular office culture. And I got to do a lot of different types of projects that I hadn't been able to do before. So that's that's when I started collaborating with Bill Nye. We did a series of books. Uh, then we worked on a TV show together. Then we worked on a podcast. We're actually working on another TV show now, which I think I'm allowed to talk about, called uh, The End is Nigh, which will be airing on NBC next year. So, look, I you know, I love space and astronomy. I love talking about science. Uh, Discover was, is, was and is a, an amazing platform for doing that, but it's a big world out there, and there are a lot of people who are curious, and there are a lot of people who I would love – to make more curious. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I feel a little bit like an evangelist and I try to go wherever I can to, you know, to try to make some of my enthusiasm and some of my curiosity and some of what I consider, you know, a science positive attitude rub off on other people. Um, so speaking of, you know, science positive, uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like to work and collaborate with Bill Nye. Well, he uh, he puts his pants on one leg at a time, like oh, just like everybody else. No. But then he adds the bow tie no just to sort of mess with you. <laughs> you know, it, it's a so it's a funny thing. Um, you know, when you know somebody, uh, you know, entirely from this sort of this kind of inner world of science communication and and writing, and we have a great relationship. And then I go out into the world with him back in the days when we went out in the world and, you know, and, and, you know, people are stopping him every five feet to get an autograph and get a selfie. I'm like, Oh, right. You're like, you're a regular person and you're also a celebrity. And it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a funny thing. Um, but honestly, seeing somebody who is a celebrity for science is, it's a, it's a cool feeling that, you know, seeing how many people grew up with these you know, Bill and I, the science guy, TV shows that, you know, they say, oh, I remember, you know, they they would wheel in the VCR into my science class and we'd watch your show. And but seeing the impact that it had on people was actually very inspiring because you see the effect of being exposed at a young age and being exposed to science in a way that is, you know, that, that's fun and that's that draws you in rather than pushes you away, uh, you know. It really made me, you know, it made me want to up my game in thinking about, you know, you know how to, how to do things that are not just, you know, entertaining myself or talking to the same old people over and over again, but, you know, how to find a broader audience that you can share those things with. Well, and I think you guys do this great with your uh, podcast, Science Rules. Um, so what, what's kind of your, the, the main, uh, the main theme of the podcast that you've been doing with Bill for a couple of years? The biggest idea is that you can use science to change the world. Uh, and I should specify, you, should, you can use science to change the world for the better because it's not always, it's not a given that it's going to be for the better. But the idea that, you know, that, that having a scientific understanding of the world makes your daily life richer, uh, but it also allows you to look for solutions and look for answers and look for the next level of question. So, the show is very eclectic. Some of the, some of the topics are, I would say, you know, completely curiosity-driven topics about you know human evolution or cosmology. Some of them are very pragmatic things about you know about material science or artificial intelligence. Then we did a whole second series of of podcasts specifically about the COVID pandemic, 
about trying to demystify some of the science around it and answer the questions that we were getting from our listeners just because there's been so much coverage and yet so many questions and so many, I would say, kind of kind of, kind of uh, unclear or confusing bits of the reporting. We were trying to cut through that. So the, the name of the podcast comes, it's, it's sort of a bad pun. It's a dad pun of, you know, it's the rules of science and it's, hey, science rules. And that very much is the epitome of Bill's personality, that he is a person who would say, completely unironically, science rules, kids. But the original title came from a checklist that he made when he was doing the Science Guy TV show of basically what are the rules of science? And if you're showing science on TV, what do you do to make sure that no matter how much you bend things for entertainment, that everything that you're showing is real? And he had some basic rules that that you don't you know, fake, you don't fake experiments and you don't do things to sort of show the science working in a more dramatic way that isn't how the real world is. So it really is the whole idea of the podcast kind of follows in that spirit that, you know, it's cheerleading for science, but being absolutely rigorous that we're not making false claims. We're not overselling things, but we're trying to let you into the mindset of the people who do the research. Yeah, it's, and your the last article you wrote for Discover was about kind of like we've been talking about space, uh, combating fears about science, and there's unfortunately seems to be a lot of skepticism about science these days. Kind of tell us a little more about your theory about how stargazing and looking at the stars can help change that. Well, so I think science skepticism and science resistance, it feels new. It always feels new. When I started out in this as a science journalist, boy, about uh, about 30 years ago now, it seemed like something new. And everybody was worried about science skepticism then. And, you know, in, in, I feel, you know, it cycles around that because the problems change and the conversations change, each time science skepticism feels like it's a, it's a new challenge. But it's a very old challenge. It's a very fundamental disconnect in the human brain that the things that scientists look at tend to operate on time scales and spatial scales and you know in a scope that is different than human experience and it's and often the answers you get from science are not what you're used to in many cases they're not what you want to hear and so those are just some fundamental barriers that you have to get through uh, that have been going on for a very very long time so what interests me about space and astronomy in particular is that you can find people who are skeptical about all kinds of things they you know, they're skeptical about human evolution. They're skeptical about climate change. They're, uh, they have these resistances to things that they feel like are somehow an assault on their values. But when you show them Saturn through a telescope, when you tell them about black holes, they're all in. They're, they're excited. And, you know, it, it activates the sense of wonder. And to me, that's, you know, that's an opening. Once you get people thinking about, you know, these are things that you can do with scientific inquiry. These are things that you can do to see parts of the world that you never see otherwise, that are totally alien to your regular life, and yet they're real, and you accept that they're real, that's an opening, to, in my mind, to a, a much broader kind of acceptance of, okay, you can keep asking those questions, and you can bring those questions kind of closer and closer to your personal world, and you can start to say, okay, well, there's a lot of different satellites that do a lot of different measurements of global temperatures and they all show the same thing. And, you know, there are a lot of 
fossils and there are a lot of, you know, it, it's, it's, it's sort of, it allows you to start approaching these things in a less antagonistic way. And I feel like, you know, you know, it, it's a very, it's the human curiosity that we all go through as kids. I mean, there's a reason the kids love dinosaurs and, and, and space, because those are things that, you know, it's hard to believe, like, there were giant, you know, there were like giant monsters that live on the earth and they were real. And there are black holes out in space and they're real. You know, they're very exciting to you as a kid. And I feel like if you can bring people back to that state that they were all in, you can bring them to a lot of other things. Or at least that's my hope. That's my thesis. <laughs> well, it sounds like you got the right philosophy and you got the right partner there with this, uh, bow tie and all. Um, the the other uh, the other article that got our attention actually initially was your article you wrote about um, the space missions that are coming up for 2021. And certainly we've had a lot of uh, buzz about the Mars missions. Were there some other ones that you were looking at that were coming up? that uh, seemed really intriguing to you and and just in general are there you know what can these you know NASA missions and I guess from other countries too that uh, are going out into space what can they do uh, to excite people's imagination sure this, this started from a Twitter feed that I maintain where I just kind of whatever catches my eye whatever I find interesting um, I tweet out there and at this point I have I'm happy to say you know a, a decent sized following and I can I get to see what people are interested in. And I was looking at what the upcoming space missions are, and I, I sometimes tweet about these things. And when you look at the whole list of what is happening at NASA and at other space agencies around the world, you know, it's a it's a pretty long list. It's kind of amazing. So you know, just kind of, you know, right now at Mars, you have United Arab Emirates, China, the European Space Agency, India, and NASA all have active missions at Mars right now, which is kind of amazing. And then I'm looking at Okay, what is set for launch just this year? Well, a mission called Lucy that's going to go to a group of asteroids that share the same orbit as Jupiter that may be basically unchanged from since the birth of the solar system. Um, there are going to be two privately built moon landers, the first private missions to the moon, one by a company called uh, Astrobotic that originally started out trying to win the Google Lunar X Prize. There's going to be the first launch of what's supposed to be the, the rocket to take humans back to the moon, the first test launch is going to carry 13 different experiments with it, including a spacecraft that's going to fly on a sail that it runs on sunlight. It's pressed by the wind of sunlight, and it's going to fly past an asteroid. There's another mission called DART launching in July that's going to crash into an asteroid and try to change its orbit to see if we can use that to save us from, from a collision sometime in the future. And the James Webb Space Telescope, which has been delayed so many times that it's a constant source of heartbreak in the astronomical community, but it's it's a successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. It will be the biggest telescope ever launched into space. It's going to be this incredible machine for finding out how the universe was born and how the first galaxies and stars came to be and what kinds of planets there are around other stars and could they have life. This whole list, this is what's happening this year. These are not things that are far off in planning. These are things that are designed, built, ready to go. They're going to be happening over the next few months. It's kind of mind-boggling to me that you know all this stuff is going on. It's going on in the background while people are dealing with you know emerging from pandemic and all the other problems in the world. And yet there's this incredible spirit of exploration that just keeps going and going and requires, I mean, many of these things are, you know, take the, took 
years or even decades of preparation to happen. So, you know, just the, the insane single-mindedness of people who want to know, and they want to know so badly that they will keep working, often for not great pay, uh, you know, not for a whole lot of glory, but just out of kind of stubborn curiosity. Well, this has been really great talking with you today, Corey. I mean, I think we're all fired up, ready for this year of space exploration. You're right. One year, this is a busy year for all this stuff. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us today and talking about science, talking about the podcast and all the great stuff you're writing about, too. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know, the uh, my hope is, look, in some ways, this is a year of rebirth. This is a lot of people rethinking their lives, a lot of people who've gone through some very hard times recovering and trying to bounce back. And, you know, I think the idea that there, you know, that there is hope, that there is, there are positive futures to look forward to, and that there is the possibility of collaborating, of working together in large groups over long periods of time to solve big problems. Like we need more of that. <laughs> we need more of that going forward. And I hope that that's, you know, one positive effect that comes out of this very, very difficult period we've come through. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this has been a lot of fun and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, and uh, so for uh, folks that are tuning in here, uh, and uh, thanks again to Corey Powell for joining us. You'll find a link to his podcast with Bill Nye called Science Rules on our website, wvxu.org slash looking up or wherever you get your podcasts, just look up Science Rules and you'll find them there. Thanks again. Oh, and thank you for what, all that you do. Okay, so something else going on this summer. It's been lots going on um, that we really, you know, that we've all just, you know, are trying to trying to survive or have survived uh, are the cicadas. You know, every 17 years, those little buggers find a way. Life finds a way. And they're little weird, crusty shells. Anyway, so why don't we talk about um, a less crusty, gross, bug-eyed phenomena uh, what are some astronomical things that we can expect, you know, kind of routinely that we can look for that are far more enjoyable than the uh, annoying chirp of a, of a cicada? I know. Yeah, we're survived that for another 17 years. That's right, they're, fa they're fascinating, but they're also fascinating in theory a little more than in actuality. But uh, yes. but yeah, and talking to some cicada experts, I did kind of warm up to them a little bit. Uh, but I'm still going to look farther up for stuff, I think. And uh, some of the astronomical cycles that are up there that are kind of uh, fun to think about is um, we've got the, the sun goes through this 11-year cycle. So every 11 years, it has this series of extra activity. So we call it solar maximum when there's more sunspots, solar flares, that kind of thing. And the mechanism behind it is, is we kind of understand what's going on. The magnetic field is is really in tur turbulence and, and, and flips over uh, every 11 years. We don't really know why it's 11 years. And uh, we've just been watching this for hundreds of years. So back to Galileo's days, we've been watching the cycle. And so we're getting, uh, we are either in solar max right now or heading towards it very soon. Uh, so we're going to be expecting a lot of extra sun activity happening. And so for f folks with the safe solar viewing equipment, this is going to be at least a little more exciting to look at the sun and see sunspots. But make sure you have that special protective gear, uh, stuff only designed for looking at the sun when you do it. 
Yes. So 11 years, that's a pretty short cycle for an astronomer. I mean, if uh, you think about uh, uh, comets, so comets go around the sun in very varied orbits. Some of them can be as short as a couple years, and some of them can be tens of thousands of years. And uh, of course, the most famous of all the comets, what's the most famous of all the comets? Halley's Comet. Halley's Comet, exactly. Uh, I got comes, it right. I, I knew you could do it. Oh, I knew you had so it. We rehearsed, but it's good. And you <laughs> had... did not. It was my suggestion. Actually, yeah, it was your suggestion. I know. It was, you it was a good, it was, it was a good suggestion. Know, That's right. And uh, so Halley's Comet comes by every 75 or 76 years. And so we're uh, anxiously awaiting its return where it comes by the sun and then close by the earth in 2061. Yeah, that's going to be pretty far in the future. Yeah, so, uh, yikes. That's it's great. on my long range calendar, but uh, oh, you know, so <laughs> you're, you're like, I went ahead and penned it in for 2061. Yeah. Yikes. Okay. But some of the, the more recent comets like uh, uh, Hale Bop, that one's mm. you know, uh, not going to be back around our lifetime. I can't remember if it's thousands of years, but it's a long time it takes to go around the sun. So Halley's Comet is just one of those that's, you know, the, the first one that was discovered to go around the sun, the first one to be predicted to come back around. So you can look forward to that one. And then if oh, we yeah. want to talk really long cycles, there's something called precession. This is the way that the earth wobbles on its side. So if you can picture those globes you had, you know, in, in school, they're always on that angle, right? You know, they're always yeah. sticking up and tilted to 23 and a half degrees. Sure. So that's how we go around the sun is tilted at 23 and a half degrees. So the earth spins once every day. That's our day and night. The earth goes around the sun once every year. So that's our yearly cycle, but it wobbles like a top. So it keeps that tilt 23 and a half degrees, but it wobbles like a top and it wobbles once every 26,000 years. So it's one of the weirdest little cycles and what's so cool about it is the ancient uh, stargazers could figure this out. They they actually were looking at old data. So they're looking at stuff of where stars were hundreds of years before, even a thousand years before. And they noticed that they were all shifted in the sky just a little bit. And so they predicted, they said, well, all right, so if this continues, it's going to take about 26,000 years to come back around again. And sure enough, they did. No telescope, nothing like that that they could actually predict this. So what does this procession do for us? It's hard to say if there's any cycle, like anything that happens to earth every 26,000 years, it doesn't seem to have any link to that. Uh, but it's one of those cool little cycles that, well, cool little ones. I mean, I guess 26,000 years is pretty big, <laughs> but, um, that's one of those things that, uh, another little quirk of, of being on a planet that we spin, we revolve and we wobble all at the same time. We, okay. That's not, yeah, it makes sense. Rotate, yeah, so just yeah, just picture those. Yeah, picture those classroom globes and yeah, uh, yeah just wobbling like a top. But I it's feel such like a I'm slow wobble. When you say that, it's like it's just like I know. Every time I kind of do that, I like start to lean. I know. And, like, I, and I remember as a kid being in the classroom when the teacher would pull out the globe and it was always tilted. I was always like. Man, what a crummy globe. It's all tilted. What do they have a tilted globe for? <laughs> Fix this like, globe. God. I know. I know. And then I go to the other then I go to the other classroom in like fourth grade and like, man, they got a tilted globe too. <laughs> Did they get the globes at the same store? What? Like it was all messed up. Where are we getting our globes? That's right. Like a, yeah, that's crazy. 
That's nobody, crazy, but it's, impor- it's in, on purpose. And nobody explained that tilt. I don't think I ever got the explanation of what the tilt was until I was like in college. I, I don't know. What, what kind of schools did I go to? What is happening? Oh my <laughs> They're goodness. They're just like, here's the earth. I was like, all right, so we got a stick through us? <laughs> is there like a stick? <laughs> they failed yeah, I, you. No, abstract thinking was not uh, quite in my realm of uh, uh, thinking at third grade. So uh, <laughs> I was like, oh all right, so that's that's where we live. Okay, I got that far. But the tilt, no, you, mm. you, I, you lost me on that part. <laughs> and the spinning. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot. There's definitely a lot happening. Yeah. All I did was I, I probably told the teacher, I was like, where'd you get this globe? You got to send it back. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode of Looking Up. Thanks again to our guest, Corey Powell, for joining us today. You can find a link to the Science Rules podcast on our website, wvxu.org slash looking up. Wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find us there. If that happens to be Apple Podcasts, your rating and comments will help others find us. So thanks for helping us out. And if you like what you hear, spread the word. We'd love to hear your ideas for guests or topics. Find us on Facebook or Twitter or email us at lookingup at wvxu.org. Our theme song and additional music is by Y, that's W-H-Y question mark, from their album, Moline, courtesy of Joyful Noise Recordings and Terrorbird Media. Looking Up is a production of Cincinnati Public Radio. We're produced, recorded, and edited by Josh Elstro. Jim Nolan provides additional web assistance. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Anna Heeman. And I'm Dean Regas. Keep looking up.